Welcome to Dicey Stuff, the podcast about life, because, well, the dicey stuff is the realest stuff of our lives. Come along as Lois examines living as a Christian woman in this modern age. Time to roll. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me for Dicey Stuff, the podcast. Today, we're going to talk more about Titus 2, specifically about loving our husbands and loving our children. And I'll tell you what, that's easier said than done. First, let's talk for a minute about doctrine. What does doctrine even mean? The word might trip us up or scare us off, but to put it really simply, doctrine just means teachings. Doctrine is the belief or the set of beliefs that are held and taught by the church. This is really important stuff. It's what the church believes and what the church teaches. So it's really important to get it right. In chapter 1 of Paul's letter to Titus, Paul gives instructions and qualifications for elders. And one requirement is that elders be sound in their doctrine or healthy. Sound and healthy are synonyms. The things that they teach must be healthy. Here's Titus 1.9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So Paul says that elders must teach in accord with the Holy Scriptures, and they must be able to correct someone who contradicts the Word of God. If any person is teaching something different than what God's Word teaches, they should be corrected, and if they persist, they should be removed from teaching. At the end of chapter 1, Paul tells Titus about some bad teachers. They are insubordinate, and they deceive and upset whole families at a time. Titus is told to rebuke these false teachers sharply, so that they may be drawn back to the sound teaching of the faith. Chapter 1 ends with this. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Then chapter 2 begins with instructions for what Titus is to teach. We've briefly looked at these verses before, but today we're going to dig deeper into the sections on loving our husband and loving our children. Paul was writing in the first century, but what does this kind of love look like in the 21st century? First, let's hear Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Titus is instructed to teach what is sound and healthy. He is given specifications for older men and then older women. Notice that the Apostle Paul doesn't tell Titus to teach the young women. Titus is to instruct the older women 
and they, in turn, are to teach the young women good things, and in this way train them to love their husbands and children. Whew! Let's get right on that, right? That is an unimaginable order, and it is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Strangely enough, loving our husband isn't something that we know how to do instinctively, but we must be trained in it. As it was so long ago in Crete, there's a longing in our day for some new thing, for more excitement, or for novelty in some fashion. Wifehood and motherhood aren't always exciting or fulfilling in the short term. As we've talked before, cooking, cleaning, and laundry are never really all the way done. Sometimes it seems like you do the same chores over again, day after day. And the monotony of it can be overwhelming. Let's talk about another new word. Vocation is a word that has become dear to me. Not vacation, although that's not too shabby either, right? Vocation. It's your calling, your duty, a position you hold, an office. It's your life's work. You probably have many different vocations. You are, or were, a child of parents, and your duty is, or was, to honor them. If you are a spouse, you have duties connected to that office. If you're a parent, you have responsibilities in that position. You may be a sibling, an auntie, a grandparent. You may be a friend. You may be a co-worker or an employer. Each vocation has a specific call connected to it. The thing is, not all vocations are spicy-dicey and filled with excitement. Somehow we think that it's good to do something really special for God, to serve Him in some bigger-than-average way. But our vocations will give us our list of duties. If you are a wife and mother, food for the family, date night with your man, laundry, discipline, training your children in godliness, those are all on your table of duties. When a diaper needs to be changed, it's not necessarily exciting, but it is God's work. When you are doing your father's business, it may look like sweeping off the porch, but it is truly serving your Lord by serving your neighbor. And your neighbor just happens to be the person nearest you at this very moment. Your steady, faithful performance of your duties is not unnoticed by God himself. I have a quote for you today from Ellicott's Commentary for English Readers, and it says this, While St. Paul would never have the women of Christ forget their new and precious privileges in the present, their glorious hopes in the future, yet here on earth he would never let them desert or even for a moment forget their first and chiefest duties. Their work, let them remember, lay not abroad in the busy world. Their first duty was to make home life beautiful by the love of husband and child, that great love which ever teaches forgetfulness of self. That's the key right there, to forget yourself and to serve your closest neighbors your husband, and your children. 
Let's look at some specifics about loving husbands. Loving your husband is a command, right? Sort of? Well, there's actually no biblical mandate for a wife to love her husband. But God created the woman to love, to be the other half, to be the helper fit for her man. Men are often better at respecting and women at loving. And so the Bible instructs us to do the thing that might not come naturally to our fallen, sinful, selfish heart. Scripture teaches that a woman is to respect and to submit to her own husband. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And verse 33 says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Loving your husband is honoring to God when we obey his commands. When we live each moment walking in obedience to Christ, God is glorified. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Loving your husband is hard. He's a sinner. And so are you. What more do we need to say about that? By God's Holy Spirit, by His leading, by His constant care for us, He gives us the will to love our husband, even though he's a sinner. He gives us the mind of Christ to see that we are a sinner, to see the sinfulness in ourselves, and to know that we are bought with a price, and our husband is bought with a price. Loving your husband is also a choice. You have the power, by the leading of that Holy Spirit, to live with your husband and to serve and respect him. I will refine that broad statement to add, unless abuse is present, in which case you need the help of a pastor or trusted family to help you through the dicey steps of dealing with an abusive relationship. Mutual love is the goal of a marriage relationship, and happiness flows out of that mutual love. No amount of money, no worldly possessions, no fame or fortune can fill the void of an unhappy home or a broken marriage and family. So what does it look like to actually love your husband? Be fond. Be affectionate. Be gracious. He's your friend, remember? Do you remember your wedding day? Your engagement day? Your first date? Your last date? Remember that you're on the same team. Remember that looking at your husband through God's eyes and through the glasses that Christ gives us shows us a new side and a new perspective of our husband. Let your husband feel your love. Hold his hand. Rub his back. Walk with him. Drink coffee with him. Tell him about your day. Listen to him as he tells you about his day. Serve your husband. Let your marriage be fruitful in service. In service to your husband, in service to your children, in service to your extended family, in service to your church family, wherever God leads you in your vocation. 
respect your husband. This is a biblical call and a command. How do you respect him when you don't respect him? Again, look at your husband through the eyes and the framework of a redeemed and beloved child of God. Sooner than you expect, you will begin to see your husband in a way that you have never done before. You will begin to see him as worthy of the love of God and worthy of your respect and worthy of the position that God has put him in as the leader of your home. Encourage your husband. Encourage him to be that leader that God has made him to be. You may have different desires and different ideas of what is a godly leader, but trust him and respect him. Read through the scriptures with him and seek the guidance of the holy scriptures to know what your home should look like. Praise your husband. In most homes, he works for your family. He provides your daily bread through the sweat of his brow. Encourage him. Be his greatest cheerleader. Build him up. Another thing you can do for your husband, or should do, must do for your husband, is pray for him. Bring your husband before God's throne. Ask God to work in your husband's heart, to work in your own heart, to work in your family, to bring about his will, and to bring about his good pleasure. His desire is for you. Remember that God's command to husbands to love their wives is not your business. Hopefully some older man or pastor or mentor is teaching your husband to love you as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. But that's not your job. Let's look at loving your children. Loving your children includes some of the same characteristics as loving your husband. Encourage, praise, pray for. Nature itself gives a maternal instinct. But in this sin-sick world, sometimes the maternal instinct is broken. Jesus brings our hearts to love and affection by his grace. Our desire is that all could enjoy the benefits of healthy homes and families. Loving your children means doing or saying things for their ultimate, long-term good, not for their momentary pleasure. Sometimes what a parent has to say is unpleasant to the child, but it is necessary for their eternal good. If a child has turned from God to the pleasures of sin, then the parent's duty is to, in love, rebuke that way of living and to call the child to repentance and faith. Remember that love is paramount, because if you cut off the ears of your child, you will have no opportunity to speak the truth in love. The vocation or task given to the older women on Crete to train the younger women was meant to bring about a harvest of faithful wives and mothers in their community of believers. Titus couldn't preach this harvest into existence. He could encourage them. But this task needed faithful older women to bring their example by godly living and patient training of the younger women. If you're an older woman, 
Find a younger woman or two to mentor. Walk alongside them in the dicey stuff of life, building relationships that will bear fruit for your Lord. Encourage the young through the hard bits and love them as your own. If you're a young woman, find an older woman to guide you. Hopefully your mother can be a mentor for you, but in this broken world that isn't always a possibility. Reach out for guidance from those who've walked this way before. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Dicey Stuff. Next time we'll continue the Bible story series with Mary, the mother of our Lord. God's peace be with you. Oh hey, DSPS. Today's quote is from Mother Teresa, who was a Roman Catholic nun and missionary in Calcutta, which is a huge city in India. She wrote, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. This sounds a little to me like what Jesus says in Luke 6, 37-38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dicey Stuff, the podcast where Lois talks about this big dicey adventure called life. You're welcome to send your comments and feedback to DiceyStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Please, if you would, subscribe and share. Until next time, roll on, friends.